so uh, I was asked a number of years ago to, to give a talk at the World Congress of Gastroenterology when sofosbuvir uh, first came on the scene as a treatment for hepatitis C. And, and I think they wanted me to talk about the ills of the pharmaceutical company and the inequality that this drug costs so much. Um, but instead I talked about something else, um, which I'm going to talk about now. Um, and it, it got me thinking about some of the themes that, that Dominic's raised. So at, you sometimes hear this claim, we shouldn't put a price on people's lives. And, and, and that's just nonsense that happens every day. But there are good ethical reasons to take into account the, the cost of treatment, as Dominic said. Because if you have a fixed resource, um, let's say $100,000, uh, and you have five people whose disease happens to cost $20,000, um, you can either say one person with uh, an expensive to treat disease or five with cheaper to treat disease. So it's, as he said, it's like the lifeboat case. So money means numbers. Uh, and as he said, in general, we think we should save the greater number of people. Um, that is to take all of their claims uh, equally into equal account. However, there is this kind of problem as well. Imagine you've got $100,000 and you've got five people with disease A and they uh, each have a 60% chance of being cured uh, and each treatment costs $20,000. Or five people with disease B... Uh, and they have an 80% chance of cure. Um, cost effectiveness and utilitarianism uh, and maximising the number of people who survive um, says we should treat those with disease B. Now, if I happen to have disease A, 60% looks pretty good to me, uh, and what difference does it make to me if somebody else has an 80% chance? Uh, it seems that it's unfair, as Dominic said, not to give people with disease A a chance. Yet standard cost-effectiveness, standard utilitarianism says you should prioritise disease B. So Becky mentioned this. The NHS in the Charter says equal treatment for equal need. We ought to meet everyone's needs. It's an egalitarian theory. Yet in practice the use of quality-adjusted life years and cost per qualities and incremental cost-effectiveness ratios and so on, these are all utilitarian instruments that aim to bring about the greatest good uh, with the resources that we have. So you've got this tension. On the one hand, you think that people ought to, in some cases, have an equal chance, and in other cases, uh, they ought to, uh, we ought to get the most out of our scarce healthcare dollars. So there's this tension between utilitarianism and egalitarianism. Um, so I started to think, how could, we, how could we address this? And Dominic and I came up with this idea of cost equivalence, which I'm going to talk about. And the sort of example uh, is some, someone like Jim, who, or, or could be me. Um, I actually had a, a bad leg fracture and a haemoglobin of five, and I asked my doctors for EPO because I didn't want to have a blood transfusion. And uh, they said, no, there's no evidence that giving you EPO will affect the, the long-term outcome. I said, but I said, there's no evidence it'll harm me. Uh, and I said, oh, but it costs $2,000. I said, well, I'll pay the $2,000. And they said, no, we, we're just not doing it. Um, so you can imagine somebody like me who wants to have EPO before an operation uh, in order to avoid the, the need for a blood transfusion uh, in addition to standard uh, blood cell-saving therapies. 
This won't be provided uh, unless the person has a religious belief, of course, if they're a Jehovah's Witness. And if I was a Jehovah's Witness, I would have got the EPO as well. Um, but you might think this is a kind of reasonable option that people could have. And especially if you can have it and you're a Jehovah's Witness, why can't you have it if you're not a Jehovah's Witness? Another example is a smoker uh, who has the choice between, uh, who is offered, uh, what's it called, varincycline, Dominic, the, the standard one? Partial nicotine agonist, anyway, standard therapy. Uh, it's cost effective, that's what's offered to patients. But there's a new one, cytosine, uh, which is naturally based, but the evidence isn't in so far uh, that it's as effective. And the patient wants the natural therapy rather than the partial nicotine agonist. Um, and in fact, the natural therapy is cheaper. Again, would this be a reasonable option? Uh, here we go. It's a varinicline. I'm not a smoker, so I'm not sure. Another example that Dominic and I have written on. Standard recommendations are that people uh, have only a single embryo transferred during IVF because of the risks uh, of twins, both to the mother and to the twins. We've written a paper that it would be reasonable to request double embryo transfer. We go through the arguments. And some people might prefer to have twins. Um, so is this a reasonable option that ought to be offered? So what should a public health system offer when there are more choices and some of them appear to be suboptimal? So I'm going to talk here about public health systems, not private health systems such as the US. Okay, so... Um, There are a number of reasons, uh, there are a number of ways in which some treatment may be suboptimal, as we've heard already in Dominic's talk. The, the alternative might be uh, bring about reduced benefits, uh, it might have increased risks, it may have reduced probability, it may have reduced duration of benefit, there may be less evidence or it may be of increased cost. So how should we take these factors into account if we're going to move outside of the, the strict standard utilitarian cost-effectiveness um, approach. As I said, the standard approach today is only to offer the most optimal therapy and that we shouldn't offer less effective therapies. And this uh, comes from a duty of beneficence to do the most good uh, and standard cost-effectiveness. Uh, now, to give you an example, let's imagine three anti-cancer drugs, hypothetical cancer drugs, uh, with different benefits and different costs. Um, standard cost-effectiveness will uh, argue that we should offer uh, this treatment because it brings about the greatest benefit and it falls within the standard 20,000, or the standard 20, 40,000 in Australia, let's say 20,000 pound uh, threshold for cost-effectiveness. So the preferred treatment on the standard approach is this one. But of course, this one might have a different side effect profile that the patient might find more attractive. Um, so could the patient request Aximab instead, instead of Fliximab? So, why not? Well, uh, people have different values. Um, people may prefer, um, as in the case of the double embryo transfer to have two children at once. Um, people have different values uh, and they also have 
autonomy. Uh, and we think that autonomy is something worth respecting, and that means making choices about your own life, choosing from different options. Uh, so as I said, there are limits, and cost equals numbers. But what about if there weren't different numbers? What about if the same numbers of people were treated? And that's the idea of cost equivalence. So according to this idea, provided that what the patient is choosing doesn't incur additional costs, then the patient is not denying anyone extra treatment that they might get from that limited resource. So provided that the cost is equivalent, um, on this view, we could offer an alternative. So on pure cost effectiveness, provided that the alternative is the same price or less, we could uh, offer it. So on this view, we could offer uh, all of these options because they're cheaper than the, uh, the standard. We could even offer Daximab, which has an incredibly low uh, benefit if for some reason the patient preferred that. Perhaps this was, there were religious reasons. Perhaps this one's not derived from pork or some other, uh, some other product the patient, or perhaps it's not derived from animal research would be another way in which uh, a person might request a suboptimal alternative. Uh, so according to pure cost equivalence, it's just the money that matters. And people could either accept or refuse. Uh, there's a second, um, a second kind of cost effectiveness that Dominic came up with. That was the simple idea that, he, that I had. But he said, no, we could also think, we, we, it seems as if Daximab, which only produces 0.02 of a quality, is just too low a benefit to provide. So somehow we need some sort of reasonableness constraint on what people can uh, request, even if it's the same price. And Dominic's idea was, well, what about cost-effectiveness equivalence. So we would provide an alternative treatment provided that it had the same cost equivalence as the preferred alternative. So on this view, you could provide Aximab because it's equivalent in terms of cost-effectiveness, but not Boximab because it's less cost-effective than the preferred alternative, Cliximab. So that would be one way of thinking about reasonableness. Um, another way in which you could think about is actually not to think about equivalence in terms of cost effectiveness, it's just whether the treatment is less expensive and still within the £20,000 cost effectiveness threshold. So provided it falls within that threshold and it's less expensive or equally expensive as the preferred alternative, you could offer it. So that would give you another way of thinking about whether a treatment alternative is reasonable. And again, this on this view, you could provide all three of these options, even though two of them are less uh, differ from the standard alternative. So that's the general idea, that if we want to take autonomy seriously and fairness seriously, we could depart from standard utilitarianism and cost-effectiveness that dominates the NHS and give people alternatives such as the use of EPO prior to surgery, uh, such as variations of IVF, and so on. Uh, 
So exactly how we cash out this reasonable constraint, whether it's equivalence in cost effectiveness or whether it just has to fall within the threshold, those can all be things up for grabs. But this would mean that, for example, um, a person might be able to have a fraction of uh, a total therapy. So where a therapy is necessary for the rest of life and it becomes expensive and outside standard cost effectiveness thresholds, a person might be able to have it for a portion of time. Or a person might be able to co-fund treatment uh, so that it falls within the cost equivalence, um, the cost equivalence principle. So I think I'll finish there rather than going through the applications. That's the general idea. And the idea with sofosfavir when I had it was even if it were very expensive, somebody might choose to trade standard interferon treatment and a liver transplantation in order to have the sofosfavir. So we could create choices and some of them wouldn't be max maximally cost effective, but people might still value them nonetheless. So thank you.